Today on Moody Presents with Pastor Mark Job. Learn to release relational anger and resentment quickly, quickly. Most people that I know that are super stressed out for a long period of time tend to be stressed out because there's relational baggage in their life that they have not let go of. It's time for Moody Presents with Pastor Mark Job, President of Moody Bible Institute and Senior Pastor of New Life Community Church in Chicago. I'm John Geiger, noting that this is supposed to be the season of peace, but honestly, for many, it's a season of panic. Have you noticed? I mean, just look around you. Fear and worry rob us of our peace. So where's the hope? You know, Jesus left this earth saying, my peace I leave with you. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you have access to that peace, and that's a foundation for hope. And that all begins, of course, with the message of Christmas. We're based in Philippians 4 today. Let's join our teacher now, Dr. Mark Job, here on Moody Presents. I've been pastoring for a long time. When I first started pastoring, it was extremely rare. In fact, I had barely ever heard of anybody having a panic attack. Just, it just wasn't that common. Never heard that much about it. Now... I pray for people on a regular basis who are experiencing or have experienced panic attacks. That means where their stress level and fear overcomes a person so much that they begin to hyperventilate, not be able to think straight, where they're so overcome with stress and anxiety and fear that they feel like they're going to die. I mean, it's pandemic the amount of people that experience extreme amount of stress. Of course, the economy of today's society doesn't help. They tell us that even 1% change in the unemployment rate causes a ripple effect of higher rate of suicide, higher rates of drunkenness, higher rates of divorce, uh, higher rates of depression. Just 1% on the unemployment seems to have this ripple effect throughout all of our society. So I understand that we live in a place that's super stressed out and it's really hard to keep our peace in the midst of so much hectic stress around us. I was doing some research about anxiety and stress and I found out that after surveying people, one survey discovered that 40% of things that we worry about will never happen. 40%. Those of you that are worriers are still saying, yeah, but there's that 60%. (laughs) I knew it, that 60%. 30% of the things that we worry about happened in the past, and we can't change them. There's nothing that you can do about the past. The past is the past. Some of you wish that you could jump into the proverbial time machine, go back and relive and change some things around, but you can't. The past is sealed, cemented. You can do nothing about your past, but you can alter and change your present. So 30% of our worry is about things that we can never change. 40% of our worry is about things that will never happen. 12% of our worry is about criticisms by others, mostly untrue. You heard through a cousin. 
that a friend of a friend of a distant relative said something about you in the water cooler and it got back to you. And now you're worried about the gossip that people are saying about you, those untrue things, and it just bothers you. And what are they talking about? And I know over there in that water cooler discussion, they're looking over at me, glancing over at me. They're probably talking all about me. I know about that. And you're worried about what other people are saying. Mostly untrue. 10% of our worries about health, which by the way, gets worse if we stress. You're worried about your high blood pressure? Well, if you worry, it's going to go higher. And then 8% is about real problems that will be faced. So 92% of the things that we worry about, really, we can do nothing about. And our unmerited worry, only 8% of your worry is actually literally legitimate. Think about that for a minute. Now, what does worry cause us to do? Stress and worry causes us to get anxious. Anxiety is a form of fear that robs us of our peace. What I love about Jesus is that the Bible says that Jesus is the prince of peace. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, the prophet was predicting hundreds of years before Jesus came, That he would be born in a town called Bethlehem. That he would be born of the lineage of David. And he tells us that for unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. And here it goes, Prince of Peace. Now, when you're a prince of something, that means you dominate. You have rule over something. It means that you have authority over something. Uh, When recently uh, the prince in the UK was married, and it was a big deal for some people. I know some uh, young ladies that did four o'clock in the morning see the wedding prince parties and they were glued to the television as they watched the prince in England. And we call him what? The prince of England. What does that mean? It means that he has authority over England, that he has power in that place. Why? Because he's a prince. I've never met a prince before or princess. Last year I had uh, lunch. I was invited to have supper with uh, a a well-known Uh, religious leader and around the table he had invited some pretty high-powered people among them was a general and then there was an ambassador from a country and a few other uh, prominent people and among the people that were invited there was a princess now she wasn't a young princess I think she was about 70 years old so it's not like this princess that you can imagine but she was a princess and people were referring to as your highness and so forth and a princess because royal blood runs in there and royalty gives you the power to determine things to have exercise authority over certain things Jesus is called the prince of peace now there's a reason he's called the prince of peace his birth was announced to the shepherds 
It was quite an invitation ceremony. You've been impressed by those little cards that you open and a little song comes on. Or you open up those cards and a little figure pops out. Well, this was multidimensional. This invitation had angels and a staircase to heaven and a big choir out in the fields. This was God's announcement, birth announcement, that Jesus was about to be born. So this blows away any card you ever got, I can guarantee you. I mean, this had sound, music, lights, three-dimensional. This was quite an invitation. The shepherds were out in the field. The angels appeared to the shepherds, and they give an invitation, an annunciation that the birth of Jesus was about to happen. And in Luke chapter 2, verse 13 and 14, it says, And suddenly there was the angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, well, what does the Prince of Peace bring? Peace. And on earth, peace and goodwill towards men. So the Prince of Peace, when his birth is announced, the angels declare that peace will be coming to earth. The last message that Jesus gave right before his crucifixion, in his final teaching time, he looked over at his disciples and he said to them, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So what I want you to understand is that if you are a follower of Jesus, that you cannot embrace the royal of Jesus and the kingdom of God without being touched by the peace of God. Now, some of you say, well, pastor, Jesus is my Lord, but peace does not really characterize my life. I want it, but I don't have it. I want to live in it, but I feel like I'm stressed, anxious, fearful, and don't have a lot of peace. Well, today I want to talk to you about a couple of things that you need to learn to embrace the peace that God can give you. The peace of mind is the spiritual birthright, I believe, of every believer. So I'm going to turn your attention to a passage of Scripture that I believe is the most powerful passage on peace found in the entire New Testament. It's my favorite passage when I talk of peace of mind because I believe it's practical yet very powerful, and it's... Philippians chapter 4, primarily verses 6 through 8 of Philippians chapter 4. I'm going to give you four habits that you will need to practice in order to let the peace of God come to your life. Now here's what I know. God has peace and we need peace. Here's what I know, that God is full of peace and has the ability to impart peace. So if you don't have peace, it's not because God doesn't have it, but sometimes God has something that you desperately need and you're not sure how to get it. This passage will tell you how to embrace the peace that God has for you and to begin to live in it. And we'll jump into that passage and the first of those four habits in Philippians in just a moment. Right now, we want to encourage you to think about giving a year-end gift in support of Moody Presents to help us finish this year strong. 
We've got a marvelous gift to say thank you back to you. It's called In His Own Words, Inspirational Reflections from Billy Graham, Quotes, Quips, Insights, Wisdom. Uh, I have a copy of this book. I have loved it, and I think you will too. In His Own Words is our thank you as you give a year-end gift to support Moody Presents. Now, how do you do that? Well, thanks for asking. We made it pretty easy. Just head to our website, moodypresents.org, moodypresents.org. And we'll send you your very own copy of In His Own Words, Reflections from the Life of Dr. Billy Graham. Thanks for your year-end gift. Let's head back to Philippians chapter 4 in today's message from Dr. Mark Job. Philippians chapter 4, I'm going to read verse 2 and 3. It says, I plead with you, Eudia, and I plead with Sintich to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, I ask you, loyal yoke fellows, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are written in the book of life. The beginning of this chapter leads into what Paul is going to talk about is how to have peace. But he starts with the situation that was happening in the church where two women were not getting along with one another and had no peace. Now, I'm not going to say why it was two women that weren't getting along. Because, of course, you know, ladies, that men have this as well. But these were two women that we know nothing about except this passage. There's no other mention in the Bible. What a way to get in the Bible, right? You got in the Bible because you're fighting. One is Judea. The other is Sinti. There were two women in the church. They both loved Jesus. They both worked hard at what they were trying to do. They were fellow workers working hard, but they both had one thing in common. They could not get along with each other. Now, how about it? Have you ever run into people that they share your faith? They love Jesus. You love Jesus. But there's something about them that just irks you. Just like every time you're around and like, I love Jesus. They love Jesus. But I can't say I really like them that much. Don't raise your hand if you know you're one of those people. If someone comes to your mind, don't point to anyone. Okay, nothing like this. But these two ladies could not get along with each other. And the Apostle Paul says, I, I plead with you. I plead with these women to agree with each other. Notice what he says, in the Lord. Here's the thing. You may not get along with someone personality-wise. People may bother you the way they approach things. Sometimes people are real high-powered, energetic. Other people are more passive and, and are more subtle. Some people pride themselves in always speaking their mind. Other people are more polite and gentle, and they like to go about it. And so sometimes our personality or our approaches aggravate people towards each other. And so what Paul is saying is this. He's saying... I want you to try to agree in the Lord. You may not agree in the flesh. You may aggravate each other in the flesh. But remember, if you have the same Lord, that is what should bind you together. The fact that you both are following God, the fact that He is your Lord, both of you should have this common denominator, which is the Lordship of Jesus Christ, that brings you together as Well, as we like to say, the Bible actually refers to people that 
are followers of Jesus that we refer to them as brother or sister. I love that terminology. Every woman in this church that's a follower of Jesus, I, I, can, I, I love to use the expression sister. How you doing, sister? Works really well when you don't remember someone's name. How you doing, sister? <laughs> but, but, but beyond the, the way of calling someone, it also says something about that person. It says to that person, you and I have the same father. How you doing, brother? I love that terminology. I use it all the time here in the church. Hey, bro, how you doing? Not like a slain in the, in, in the street would use. I use it because the men in this church are followers of Jesus. They're my brother. We have the same spiritual father. Oh, we may look different. I may be a little wider than Vince. Now, we both have really cool hairstyles. But the bottom line is that we're brothers. Why? Because we share a Heavenly Father. And if we share a Heavenly Father, then there needs to be an extra effort that we make in making sure that even though we may not always get along, that we make, that we work towards peace. Why do I say this? Why is this so important to peace? Because by and large, the greatest detractor to personal peace tends to be relational resentment and unforgiveness. In other words, undealt with issues in our life. So if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Learn to release relational anger and resentment quickly. Quickly. Most people that I know that are super stressed out for a long period of time tend to be stressed out because... There's relational baggage in their life that they have not let go of. And here's what happens with relational baggage. Let me just describe a trip I took years ago. The first time I ever went to visit my, the town that I lived in, my parents' house in Spain with my wife was a long time ago. She had never been there before, and I was excited for her to uh, see people that... that I had grown up with and, and the, the town that I lived in. And so I remember meeting her at the airport and I had figured this out. I just had a backpack. I put all my stuff in my backpack, put it in my back and I was ready to travel. When she showed up at the airport, I counted one, two, three, four, five. I think it was six pieces of luggage. And I said, is this all yours? She said, yeah. She said, I didn't know exactly what to take. I didn't know if I needed it, but I figured I'd rather be safe. So I remember getting all the pieces of luggage along with my backpack. And just to get to the airport, I was exhausted just to try to get to the airport carrying all her luggage. When we got in the plane and got to, the plane, got to Madrid... We had to take a taxi, and to get it all in the taxi was a major challenge. And then to get to, to the train station, dragging all that around was a major challenge. I, we, I went a lot slower than I normally went because I was carrying all this luggage that was heavy. It was like, I wanted to see, what do you have in this? I mean, did you bring 
sacks of gold in here because this luggage is heavy. I just couldn't figure out what all it was. And she said, well, I didn't know if they sell shampoo or this or that. So I loaded it all in there. And by the time I got to my destination, it took extra long. I was tired. I was worn out. Why? Because I was carrying someone else's baggage. You know where I'm going with this, don't you? You got enough baggage of your own. There's enough issues that you're dealing with in your own heart. But when you start carrying along with you unresolved issues, when there are people that you haven't forgiven, when there are conversations that you haven't had that you need to have, when there's unresolved conflict, when there's bitterness or resentment, when there's hurt feelings, and you are dragging that with you, it escalates the tension in your life, it elevates the stress in your spirit, and you find yourself, whatever you're doing, whatever your pace may be or your schedule may be like, it's extra difficult. Why? Because you're carrying baggage that you shouldn't be carrying. And so it's no coincidence that the Apostle Paul starts this passage by dealing with a concrete incident that was happening in the church between these two women. And so the idea here is release the baggage quickly. And here's what I want you to know about releasing baggage, by the way. Some of you go to a retreat, an encounter retreat, and you hear the word of God about releasing and you have this powerful experience where you release with your hand or you write a letter and you rip it up and you throw it to the wind and you feel like, okay, it's done with. And three months later, the person that you forgave makes a comment on your Facebook page. <laughs> and suddenly all those feelings that you thought you had released are all back again. And you said, I thought I released them. I thought I forgave them. Why am I feeling the same way? Because here's the way it works. Forgiving and releasing is not something you do once a year at a retreat. Forgiving and releasing is an attitude of life. It's a habit that you practice. The second habit that we need to practice in maintaining our peace is found in verses 4 and 5. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all, the Lord is near. Rejoice in the Lord always. When? Always. You say, well, that can't be right. What does it say in the Greek? Always. And in case you didn't understand it, he says, and I will say it again, rejoice. Now I want you to notice what it says and what it doesn't say. I believe that your default mode in life needs to be a celebration mode. What does it mean to be rejoice? To rejoice means that you celebrate. That you look for the good and you enjoy it. Rejoicing means that you, that you have a spirit of, uh, of joy and elation over what? Not over your circumstances, but it says rejoice in whom? In the Lord. It doesn't tell us to rejoice in our circumstances. It doesn't say rejoice in every circumstance always. You don't have to get a flat tire and say, yay, I got a flat tire. Man, I'm so excited about this. I'm really happy. That's strange. <laughs> what you do is you rejoice that no matter what you're going through, God is still good. 
He's still on the throne. He hasn't changed. He doesn't vary from day to day, month to month. He's faithful. He's good. He's loving. He's forgiving. He's merciful. He's full of compassion. God is still good all the time. God is good. So you rejoice in the Lord always, even though your circumstances may vary from good to bad to worse to really ugly to excellent. Your circumstances may vary, but God never changes. So you rejoice in the Lord always. And by the way, he says, let your gentleness be evident to all. When you're not rejoicing, the opposite of rejoicing is complaining. When you start complaining and murmuring about things, you get cranky, aggravated, and frustrated. When you're rejoicing, it's easier to be gentle. You're full of compassion. And he says, let your gentleness be known to all. Why? The Lord is near. It's almost like a warning. Hey, God is near, so be gentle. Dr. Mark Job here on Moody Presents, reminding us there is peace for the distressed. Christmas brings hope. Isn't that great? And I so appreciated the practical application there from Philippians 4. Learn to release relational anger and resentment quickly. Unfortunately, we have to pause right here, but we will pick up next week with our Christmas Brings Hope series. But meanwhile, you need to know that there is peace for the distress, and the ultimate peace is only found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Notice we're not talking about religion or a denomination or a church. We're talking about knowing Jesus personally as your rescuer. The Bible word is Savior. And that can happen for you right now. All you have to do is just pray a prayer like this. Lord Jesus, I agree I've messed up. I'm a sinner. And I want you to be in charge of my life. Be my Savior, I pray. Amen. And you can continue this conversation online right now at needhim.org, needhim.org. I'm John Geiger, looking forward to next week's message in our Christmas Brings Hope series. And I think you'll enjoy it as you join us again for Moody Presents, a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.